Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. Well, uh, we got a chance to meet with uh, the... Still the president of the United States, Barack Obama, yesterday uh, at the White House. The uh, news con- it was his uh, final news conference at uh, 2.15 yesterday afternoon. Uh, I was there along with about 100 other reporters crammed into the uh, Brady briefing room. Uh, the good news is nobody fainted yesterday. Uh, <laughs> I was I was on duty. I was I was ready. I was ready. Um, you were there, man. And everybody was uh, Bill, Bill, you you. You up to this again today? I said, yep, come on. Anybody's faints around me, I'll take care of them. I, now I know where the doctor's office is yeah. in the White House, so I could take them right there. At any rate, the president was in uh, was in good form yesterday, uh, very thoughtful, very reflective, a style unlike we will ever see in the White House again, not for at least four years. Uh, and he started out uh, with, very nicely, by the way, um, by thanking uh, us White House reporters for the job that we do with a little dig, I think, at the incoming Trump administration. Here he is. Having you in this building uh, has made this place work better. It keeps us honest. It makes us work harder. Yes, having you in this building is the key phrase because we know that the Trump administration is thinking, considering, talking about kicking us out of the building and moving the White House press corps over to the old executive office building, which would be a colossal mistake, and we will fight that very vigorously if they try to do it. Uh, So I thought the president was saying, no, it's important to have you right here because you're right here, we're right here. That's how we can communicate. It helps both sides. First question the president got from Jeff Mason, who's the president of the White House Correspondents Association and works for Reuters uh, at the White House, was about Chelsea Manning asking the president, uh, doesn't your pardon, not pardon, but commuting her sentence, send the message that it's okay to reveal state secrets? Let's be clear. Chelsea Manning has served a tough prison sentence. Yeah. So he said, uh, you know, this wasn't that we let her off without any punishment at all. And that was David Petraeus, who got no time at all. Uh, the president saying that she had already served uh, seven, seven years. Uh, and that sends a message that uh, if you are thinking of leaking documents, he said, um, you ought to think twice because you're going to serve some prison time. So no apologies there uh, whatsoever. The next question was about Russia and whether or not uh, we ought to have a constructive relationship with Russia. The president said, yes, absolutely. That's in everybody's interest. I think it is in America's interest and the world's interest that we have a 
constructive relationship with Russia. But, the president pointed out, that doesn't mean Russia can get away with anything. And he noted that the sanctions against Russia were put in place because of their invasion of the Ukraine. Uh, and he made it very, very clear. He said, you stop, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, you stop Russia to, to Putin, you stop messing around with Ukraine and we'll lift the sanctions. It's very easy. Uh, it's not complicated. Don't have to worry about it. Uh, Kevin McGuire from Fox News wanted to know from the president what he thought about those Democrats. Now there are over 60 who are not going to be attending the inauguration. Say they're going to boycott it because they either don't trust Donald Trump, don't like his policies, or don't believe he's, in the case of Congressman John Lewis, don't believe he's a legitimate president. Uh, President Obama, he wasn't going to go down that trail. Here's his response. With respect to the inauguration, I'm not going to comment on those issues. All I know is I'm going to be there. <laughs> so is Michelle. And uh, uh, I have been checking the weather, and I'm heartened by the fact that it won't be as cold as my first inauguration. Because <laughs> that was cold. I'll tell you what, Jamie and I were talking about that when we were walking in this morning. That first inauguration, holy crap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was real cold. You know, I, I was a, a young reporter for a TV station, I forget which one, in Los Angeles for one of Ronald Reagan's, I think his, I think it was his re-inauguration, uh, the re-up for Ronald Reagan. It was so cold they canceled the they canceled the parade. Oh, that's right. They canceled the parade because they were afraid that uh, for the uh, uh, Trump, Trump yeah, 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 they'd freeze to their freeze to their lips. <laughs> to their lips. Yeah, right. Isn't that wild? Boy, and I remember uh, doing stand-ups down uh, like along Pennsylvania Avenue, and we would sit in the van, you know, with the heat all the way turned up until it was time to appear on camera. Then we would run out <laughs> and do the stand-up, and then run back. Uh, inside the car, no where thanks, I'm man. not telling any secrets, there may have been some liquid refreshment <laughs> waiting for us. It's a great way to warm up. <laughs> yeah. It's a great way to warm up. Uh, back to President Obama. I got a question, Dr. Chris Johnson from The Blade, about whether or not um, the president felt that the, and, and it's really true, terrific advancements, historic advancements, that he has led on the issue of on LGBT rights uh, were going to be at risk in the Trump administration. Uh, President Obama says on this stuff, he's first of all, he said he's very, very proud. And remember, he, he was a reluctant warrior here for the first four years. It took a long time to get rid of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, longer than it should have, in my opinion. Uh, it took a long time for him to evolve on the issue of same-sex marriage. But once he got there, I mean, he's there. He's there. And it happened because of him uh, and the Supreme Court, by the way. Uh, and the president says uh, he's proud of what he's been able to accomplish in that area. And uh, he, he thinks it's here to stay. I don't think it is something that will be reversible because American society has changed. The attitudes of young people in particular have changed. And uh, two final points uh, from yesterday. Uh, the president was asked about uh, April Ryan from uh, Urban News Network. Or I think it's Urban News is, mm -hmm. is the network. Uh, about uh, issues of race relations. 
uh, and particularly when it comes to voting rights. And the president was really, really got passionate about this. You know, he said, for example, that we're the only civilized society that makes it harder for people to vote, not easier for people to vote. And on voting, on voting rights, here he is, President Obama. Uh, all this talk about voter fraud, forget about it. I, I hope that people pay a lot of attention to making sure that everybody has a chance to vote. Make it easier, not harder. This whole notion of election uh, or, or voting fraud, this, this is something that has constantly been disproved. This, this, this is fake news. Yeah. Yeah, that's the way you put it. Yeah, absolutely. That is fake news for sure. And finally, the president was asked by Christy Parsons from the L.A. Times. Who, by the way, has followed Obama since he was since, a candidate in Iowa. Oh uh, no, 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 no. Oh, excuse me. No, no, no. So when he was a state senator, senator in, in Springfield, yeah, Illinois, Illinois, she was a young reporter, and that's how they got to know each other. And she's been, as he said, she's been listening to me and asking me questions since Springfield, Illinois. So she got the very last question of the Obama presidency. Uh, Christie's a great reporter. And she asked him, so, you know, you know you were disappointed in what happened, and your daughters were. How, what it, how do you talk to your daughters about the fact that somebody – who believes just the opposite of everything you believe and they believe is coming in as the next president of the United States. And the president has said this before. He said it the day after the election. Um, You know, he remains an optimist about America and the American people. It is true that behind closed doors I curse more than I do publicly. (laughs) And sometimes I get mad and frustrated like everybody else does. But at my core, I think we're going to be okay. I think we're going to be okay, he says. You know, we'll survive this. Uh, He did say, by the way, uh, and this was very important, on the issue of the dreamers he was asked about, um, that if it gets to the point where that he's going to be on the sidelines, but if it gets to the point, he said, where some of our real core values are being undone and challenged by the new administration, that he'd be ready to step back in. And and the dreamers may be one of the, one of those areas, but otherwise he said, you know, it's not the direction we like, not the direction we wanted, but uh, again, we're going to be okay. Uh, reminds me, I got to tell you of um, my one of my favorite at first early favorite radio shows was on KABC in Los Angeles. It was Ken and Bob in the morning. Oh yeah. And they were a classic radio show. In fact, I joined them when I started doing talk radio. I, I did some commentary later. But years before I ever joined the program, I used to listen to them all the time. And they had, their slogan was, egg buck. And they had buttons, egg buck buttons. And, you, know, you sort of had to be on the inside in Los Angeles to know what egg buck and, and egg buck said, everything's going to be okay. It's a certain philosophy I don't totally subscribe to <laughs> because we've seen some real uh, F-ups, right? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's not a bad philosophy. I'm not so it, sure. It gets you through a lot of bad days if you can get there to settle on, okay, I'm not happy. Okay, this is really bad. But overall, egg bite. A lot of people... Uh, around Washington, from outside of Washington, have come into town for the inauguration. Uh, I don't care about them. I care about <laughs> all the people who are coming for the really big event of the week, which is the Women's March on Mar- Washington, 
which follows on Saturday, Saturday, January 21. Uh, here in studio with us, two leaders of the Women's March, members of the local leadership team here for Washington, D.C., Jackie Savage, I, by the way, both neighbors of ours on Capitol Hill, <laughs> Jackie yep. Savage uh, from Capitol Hill, um, and uh, Elizabeth Burr. Bohr, sorry. Good one. Bohr, there we got it right. Uh, You're co-chair of the D.C. local chapter, and you're Um, involved. I'm one of the four D.C. regional leadership. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Okay, good. Now, I want you to know uh, we live just about a block from here. Uh, Right now, it's just uh, me and Carol at home, right? As of tonight, we will have 10 people camping with us. Awesome. For the march on Washington. Thank you for working with us. Yeah, so we're in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What's it look like, um, Elizabeth? How many people you're expecting? And what? Well, first, what's this march all about? And how did it get started? Uh, or, I, I'm happy. Yeah. So, right. so you may be aware this started through a Facebook post. Um, a woman in Hawaii posted something about marching in Washington, and when she woke up the next day, there were ten thousand people. Who Come on, really? Ten thousand people. There were forty by the time she went to bed. She woke up. Ten thousand people had indicated that, that they were coming, and it just it grew. It just exploded from there because I think she really touched on something that all of us um, can get behind. So uh, it moved forward, you know, obviously positive momentum. And now we're expecting, I last I heard, anywhere from 200,000 to 300,000 um, <laughs> men, women, and children marching. Uh, uh, this is not a protest. This is a march. So marching in solidarity um, there's a national team that is based all over who's helping organize. And, of course, there's all this ground swelling in local areas. And as I mentioned, I'm with D.C. Local. So, Well, how do people sign up or how have they signed up, Elizabeth? Just go online or do you have to sign up? for? <laughs> um, there is an Eventbrite registration. That's more in terms of logistics. We'd like to do a headcount. Uh-huh. But you don't need to sign up. We we. I'm just going to show up. I didn't <laughs> sign up. I hope that y'all are going to kick me out or anything. Well, I'm going to find I'm you and be like, yeah. excuse me, excuse sir. Me. You are not on the event. you have a ticket? <laughs> no, none of us have signed up, by the way. That's why I'm asking. But So so you estimate maybe 200,000. That's based on what? So that's a very complicated number that I am not okay. in that circle. But I've heard, right, it's based on hotel reservations. I know they have 101,200 bus uh, permits for RFK, uh, the bus permits, uh, airplanes, all of that good stuff. The National Committee did do a survey mm-hmm. called Operation Headcount to get a little better idea of how many people were coming and what means they were using to get here. Yeah. So the hundred to 200,000 estimate is based on that, but I think a lot of other factors are going to come into play, most notably weather. Oh, <laughs> right. Weather. And, and uh, you know, uh, I hate to be a downer, but the good news that I've heard is that it may rain on Friday, but it's going to be a great day on Saturday. I, how does that make you a downer, sir? <laughs> <laughs> well, the Trump, the Trump people might not be happy to hear that. But, oh, oh uh, I see. yeah, I'm really worried about how they yeah. feel about all of this. I want to see him give us an inaugural dress holding his umbrella. Yeah, right, as, if, as if he would have to hold his own umbrella. But uh, so, rain, so the grassroots there, grow. There, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Elizabeth Bohr and Jackie Savage are with us. They're two local leaders here in D.C. of the Women's March on Washington. Washington. What's wrong with me today? Uh, Which will take place on Saturday, January 21, uh, starting at 3rd and Independence Southeast. The American. Southwest. Southwest. Is that Southwest? Mm -hmm. Southwest. 
Okay, right there at the juncture. Uh, the American <laughs> Indian Museum. This, yeah. this, this end of the mall, right, right in front of the Capitol, this end of the mall, mm-hmm. right at the reflecting pool. That's the, uh, that's the starting place. So womensmarch.com is the national site, mm-hmm. womensmarch.com. And you mentioned, I think this is important, yeah. a local contact, because if some of you are coming at the last minute and have not yet arranged housing, um, and you're going to need it because you may not have a friend you can crash with. Right. What's that site again? Yeah, so WMW, right, Women's March in Washington, WMWDC Local. And that's our landing page. Dot and, com. Yep, dot com. And you can sign up for information about housing, uh, transportation. Um, we have FAQs. Uh, if you sign up, we're hoping to send out uh, uh, right before the march sort of resources, things to have as, as you go out. And, I mean, our, really our goal as D.C. is to be welcoming, as, as Liz mentioned earlier, you know, welcoming and supporting and and trying to make this a really positive experience for everyone. And on that note, you can also sign up to be a local ambassador on that page. Oh, all right. We need more local ambassadors. Yeah, Yeah, we're always accepting welcoming presences. Right. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for The Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. A big decision facing the Democratic National Committee. Who is going to lead the DNC, lead the Democratic Party, uh, into, uh, 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 and it's kind of, everybody admits it needs to be re-energized, rebuilt, maybe a new direction, uh, because the party's in pretty bad shape right now. Uh, there are seven candidates, including, uh, we welcome to our program, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, um, and a candidate for DNC chair, Pete Buttigieg. Uh, good to see you last night at the debate. Thank you. Did, uh, that did very well. Um, you didn't tell us last night that today's your birthday. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but happy birthday. Thank you. And what a way to celebrate, starting out right here. Well, at least right. it's the last day of the Obama administration, not the first day of the Trump administration. <laughs> Got that right. going for me. All right, we'll give you that. I had a real so, breakdown, by the way, when I realized that when Trump leaves office, I'm going to be 40. Or right. at the end of his four-year term, I'm going to be 40. I freaked out. Yeah. So um, you're from South Bend, Indiana. That's Did right. you go to Notre Dame? I didn't. Uh, no. What? I, I know. I went to the Notre Dame of the East, but uh, <laughs> uh, but you know, grew up going to the football games, and obviously, it's a big part of our life in South Bend. Right. Um, so why would uh, people look to a mayor from a relative small town well, in the in the Rust Belt, right, in the middle of the country, to lead the Democratic National Committee? Well, first of all, because I'm from a community that has a lot of the kinds of people that our party has struggled to connect with. You know, my county ought to be a reliably blue county. It went 50-50 in this last presidential election. And I think these are folks who really 
ought to be Democrats. You look at the economics, you look at uh, what the Democratic Party has stood for. They should be voting with us, but we're having trouble touching down right now. I think I know how to do that. I know I know how to do that because I've uh, helped uh, get other people elected in addition, of course, to winning my own campaigns there. So I think that experience is important. I think the experience in local government is important at a moment when all seven of us are promising that we're going to return the center of gravity of our organizing back to state and local government and local parties uh, and state parties. But uh, I'm the one who's actually living that in the trenches right now as we speak. And also, yeah, it's a small city, but uh, I have a, a lot of executive responsibility. You know, the buck stops on my desk. We're not in one of the systems of government where you have a city manager or anything like that. So uh, I'm chief executive of a $300 million a year organization, more than 1,000 employees, and I'm responsible for the lives and, and well-being of 100,000 people. I know what it's like to have that kind of responsibility to organize a team to get something done. And I'm proud of our turnaround story in South Bend. It's the same kind of turnaround story I want to write for the Democratic Party. If there was a theme last night in the debate, to me, it was we've got to get we have to look outside of Washington for leadership of the DMC. That's DMC. right. Look, that... uh, the solutions for this party are not going to come from Washington. I don't mean to insult anybody around here. Uh, but, look, we have had a lot of trouble connecting with people in terms of their actual lived experience. We talk about what goes on in the Beltway and the politicians as though they were what really matters. Politicians only matter because the decisions they make affect people in their real lives. And for me, all of this stuff is personal. Uh, this isn't theoretical for me. Things from, uh, from Affordable Care Act, and I talked last night about what that means in my family, to things mm -hmm. like climate change, which for me is not about uh, ice sheets and polar bears. It is about our neighborhoods. This summer, we had a rainfall. Most rain we ever got in our history was about two and a half inches until one night in August, we got seven and a half inches. In and one night? In one night. Homes were destroyed. Statistically, it's a thousand-year rainfall. But who here believes it's really going to be a thousand years before that happens again? I saw the families whose lives were derailed by this. These issues are not abstract. They hit home, and we've got to learn to talk about them that way again. What's the job of the DNC chair as you see it? Well, part of it, of course, is the message part, being in the media, articulating a message. But uh, I don't think that most of this job is about being on TV. This is, this is an organizing job. This is about making sure that we have the mechanics right, doing a lot of unsexy, unglamorous blocking and tackling kind of work to get the party in gear. That means making sure that the, the handshake between the mothership and the state parties is working right. Not just sending money and all the, all the candidates for chair are promising to get more resources out to the state, but making sure the money and the people are organized in the right way. And of course, it's, it's making sure that we do have that kind of resource base to get the job done. 20 years ago, I left California to come to Washington, D.C. I still consider myself a Californian, not a Washingtonian. But uh, I was chair of the Democratic Party right. in California. What role the do you think the state parties and uh, play? Uh, you know, Howard Dean, who was there last night in the audience, uh, at one time had a 50-state strategy where he really built up and gave money. That's right, and I think so, we've we've got to have that. We've got to embrace that kind of strategy. But it's not just copy-pasting the 50-state strategy because we've got to evolve with the times. But that is the point where we've got to begin. Look, the state chairs, as you know, because you were one, know what's going on in their states and what's happening in the different states is different. I've been talking to a lot of the various state chairs, and not just as a matter of politics. Obviously, you know, politically, yeah, what plays in yeah. Kansas is different from California, but also mechanically, just the reality of what is needed from the DNC. Right, The Oregon State Party might be able to use the funds from the DNC to uh, create a dedicated program they wouldn't be able to do otherwise, while the North Dakota State Party would rely on those funds simply to keep the lights on and have a full-time staff. 
Do you believe that the um, that the that the DNC uh, in, during the during this last primary campaign was um, tilting and on the staff tilting in one direction? Well, look, we wouldn't be having this conversation if there weren't problems. I think we've got to look forward and uh, establish a way to make sure, especially as we go into the next presidential primary process, it is very clear that no one has a thumb on the scale. Well, I know, I know that uh, all of you wanted to avoid this question, but some have uh, said that this, cha- this, this race for DNC chair is really pitting the Bernie Sanders people against the Hillary Clinton people. Yeah, I What's don't your think, response? I don't think that's fair to the candidates, and I also think that we just have to get past that. And, and part of the reason I got into this is, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not anybody's guy. I'm getting into this because I believe I'm here to deliver a fresh start. And we've got to transcend not just that false choice, but a whole bunch of false choices that have been presented to us. You know, another one I'm very concerned about in the internal conversation in the party right now is the idea that, that speaking to a lot of white working class voters that we seem to have lost touch with somehow requires us to abandon the moral foundation of our party and our commitment to racial and social justice. We not only can, we must be speaking in terms of values that make sense across our coalition, not speaking to elements of that coalition one group at a time. And if we fall for that trap, if we go into that false choice, we're going to be even more divided and it's bad for business. think it's the role of the DNC chair to go to a Democrat and say, you voted wrong here, you voted wrong there. You know what? They're, they have party leadership that will deal with that issue. Uh, the DNC chair's job is to d- get Democrats elected and to get Democrats involved. Now, I'm going to tell you something about politicians. They see the light when they feel the heat. If you guys get involved and tell them that you're not all right with that, I think some votes will start going the way you want them to go. So there we go. That was Keith Ellison, uh, also on stage last night. Uh, Tom Perez, the Labor Secretary, Ray Baker. Buckley. No, Buckley. Buckley I'm yeah. sorry. I always get that. Who uh, we, we met with yesterday, who's chair of the uh, New Hampshire Democratic Party, Jamie Harrison, chair of the uh, South Carolina Democratic Party, uh, Pete Buttigieg, who was just with us, uh, and Sally Boynton-Brown who is the executive director of the Idaho Democratic Party. Hi, Sally. It's nice to see you. It's really good to see you, too. I'm trying to remember the woman in the middle. Jamu Green. Jamu Green. Yeah. yeah. I, she's the one I did not know. Yeah, uh, Fox News analyst. From, analyst. From Fox News analyst and at one time worked with... Um, Rock the Vote. Rock the Vote. Yeah. yeah exactly. Uh, and you, uh, uh, executive director, which is a very important slot, um, but why would the Democratic Party turn to a, an executive director from a totally red state I know. Right, to be the head of the DNC. Well, I don't know if you've uh, noticed, like the rest of the country has, but we've got a lot of red states in this country. And I think we absolutely, if we're going to um, get back in touch with the people of America, we need to be looking at folks' perspective from red states. And so I think who better to lead the DNC than somebody that's been spending the last six years fighting the good fight um, against the Republican Party. We've made great strides in Idaho, um, especially from an organizational growth perspective. That's what I specialize in. And if we're going to continue to say that we're the party of the workers, then we better start having conversations with workers. So who better than to lift up a worker into leadership? So do you find that uh, that you as a Democratic official in, in, in Idaho, I mean, it, it, is, is there a way to get, get to the, red, the, the Republican voters or the conservative voters or the red state voters and convince them 
that they ought to really take a look at the Democratic Party? Have you had any progress in that? And how do you do it? I think that one of the really is it un- one-to-one or is it TV advertising or, you know, what's your yeah, methodology? So I think one of the really unfortunate things is before we look at methods, we have to look at what the message is. Mm-hmm. And what I hear uh, way too much of the time is that we've got to focus on facts and a lot of judgment judgment of where other people sit in their worldview. And we've got to stop that. The The National Democratic Party has to have a values-based message that we're delivering to all of America that talks about who we are and why we do the work that we do. And we haven't done that for too long. Um, and then we need to use every single method that we can to deliver it. So, I think we need to build personal relationships with people. We need to empower the 57 state parties that we have um, with resources and support to be having those conversations. That number kept coming up last night. It was sort of confusing. When you say 57, everybody said, wait a minute, there are only 50 states, right? But the, I know. It's the states and the territories, I guess. Right? And D.C. and Democrats abroad. You know, we've got probably six million voters overseas that uh, we really need to provide services for and make sure that they have the ability to vote. So how do you assess uh, you're a doctor and you put the uh, stethoscope to the Democratic Party today? What's the health of the Democratic Party today? I've been saying for a while that state parties are dying. The reality is that McCain-Feingold had devastating effects uh, that we were totally unintended. I think that they were great for uh, actual campaigns, but state parties, it's been really hard. Citizens United then further um, solidified that. And we absolutely need a DNC who's going to be a a service organization to lift up and support the state parties who are out on the ground in the trenches doing the work every day. And I, I think it's really exciting because when you look at the opportunity that we have in front of us, there's really no place to go but up right now. And it's great to see all of our colleagues, uh, all of my colleagues, and a lot of members across the country really agreeing on what needs to be done. I think the biggest question is how. Can the leadership come from Washington? I absolutely think that we need a leader outside of Washington. I think that one of the issues that we have is that we spend so much time in offices looking at data, dealing with whiteboards, we've forgotten how to deal with people, and we are totally out of touch with what the everyday American thinks about, and it's not politics. What do you see the job of the DNC chair to be? That The, the, the clip that we were hearing from uh, Keith Elson when you came in um, w- w- was in response to a question about policy you know, because some people see the DNC chair as a person out there speaking for the Democratic Party on issues. Is that the main job of the chair? I think that every uh, time that we elect a DNC chair, we need to have a conversation about what the role is, because I don't think it's static. Mm-hmm. And I think right now we need Good a visionary yeah. more than anything else. We need somebody that can drastically um, revolutionize the Democratic Party in our country. With so many people pouring in to Washington uh, for the March on Washington, particularly, uh, this is a great opportunity that um, several local charities are going to be benefiting from, uh, thanks to a group called All in Service, uh, which is organized and lined up uh, over 127 now local uh, restaurants, bars, food service places, who have agreed to donate part of their proceeds over this weekend to uh, local charities. And here in studio with us, from All in Service, Farah Skyke. Hello, Farah. Nice to see you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Uh, And from one of the restaurants participating, the Tip Cow Restaurant, 
Chef Singh. It's nice to see you, Chef. Nice Thank you for you. coming in, too. Thanks for having me. It looks me. like you brought some goodies here, too. Which, yeah. Uh, yes, we, I did. Which we always appreciate. You know, Thank you. We are, we are easily bought off. Uh, it's a good way to become one of our favorite guests. Uh, Bring us treats. Yes. Uh, Thank uh, you. Exactly. So, far, tell us about uh, All in Service. Um, you know, who are you? How'd you get organized? And who's participating in this program? Right. So two very close friends of mine, um, Alana and Amanda, started this initiative. They've been they're essentially just superstars of the D.C. service industry. Um, If you have a favorite restaurant, a restaurant that's made some list, they probably have worked there or they work there right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And they are really the epitome of the words service, community and hospitality. And that's really what we're examining uh, this weekend. What do those words mean to you? What do they mean to us? What does the word community mean to you Um, rather than industry, per se? So. A lot of people have been, you know, in the restaurant world in D.C. have been talking about, you know, how do we take advantage of this weekend? How do we make something good out of it? How do we stand up for ourselves, perhaps? Um, And this is a way to include people um, and just remind our city that we are there for each other. We care about each other. So we started with, I want to say, 14 restaurants at the beginning of January who signed up, restaurants, bars, a couple of venues as well. Um, saying we will pledge a set amount or a percentage of our sales over the weekend, maybe for entire checks, maybe off of cocktails specifically, um, to certain organizations that are either D.C.-based or are national and have a D.C. reach. And now we're up to 127. But uh, Chef Singh and Tip Cow were one of the first restaurants to sign up with us. Good for you, Chef. Yeah. Have you been involved? Has anything like this happened before? I should... Not that I know of, not that I'm completely yeah. aware of, and it's completely yeah. a volunteer effort is the other part. So like, how did you find out about this? Um, I found about it through um, one of the organizers, um, contact my sons, and we are excited to be a part of it because we want to be involved in uh, D.C. community as much as we can. Right. So yeah. if, if everybody is supporting a charity, what charity are you supporting? Um, we are supporting the um, AA Lead is for the Asian American youth that helping low-income um, uh, students. Mm-hmm. Nice. So, do you get to choose any one particular charity that you that you help? Is that it? Yes, yes. We get to choose any organization that we want to help. So we oh. decide to to um, choose. The, my son decided to choose the American um, Youth uh, Asian American Youth Program. At um, they're supporting um, uh, low income students um, after school programs. Mm-hmm. That's great. So, so uh, Farah, the one hundred and twenty seven contributing organizations. Yes, that are specifically signed up through us, yeah. Right, contributing... um, Businesses. Businesses, thank you. Uh, How many charities? I think we're at 44 or 45 as of this morning. Mm -hmm. I should know this number. I'm the webmaster. (laughs) 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 Uh, But if you go on our website, which is allinservicedc.com, one of the first things you see is the entire list of every organization that's being supported. And it's all kinds of different causes. You know, we have a lot of D.C. restaurants mm-hmm. who are supporting places like Martha's Table that do uh, food service programs for low income or homeless um, D.C. residents. Uh, a lot of people are donating to the Fresh Farms Market Matching Program, which matches every dollar of like federal uh, subsidies for food costs so that people can come to the market with their SNAP benefits and buy local food and buy organic food um, and not, you know, still be able to prioritize that even though they're, you know, on a bit of a budget. So we have a lot of different charities and everybody gets to choose, you know, something that speaks to their heart. We have a lot of businesses, especially on 14th Street and Logan Circle, who want to contribute to Whitman Walker Health because it's in their neighborhood. Um, and, you know, 
something that speaks to your heart, like we want to just make that easier. It's a busy weekend. It might be a hard time for a business owner to say, you know, this is a really busy weekend. My books are full or I'm trying to fill up my books. Let me now put some energy into finding a charity to send money to, do paperwork, um, yeah. make that connection happen. So we really exist to just make it easier and be those liaisons. <laughs> The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you want to know why the Democratic Party's in trouble? Here's why the Democratic Party's in trouble. The Democratic Party talks about being the party of the people. Yeah, fighting for average Americans against Wall Street and the oil companies and the big drug drug companies and the insurance companies. And yet, when it comes to standing up for the American people and taking on those very same powerful interests, too many Democrats run for the hills. Look what happened last week. Bernie Sanders and Amy Klobuchar introduced an, an amendment which would allow the federal government to buy drugs from Canada, where they're 10 times cheaper than here in the United States, saving American taxpayers billions and billions of dollars every year. But what happened? That amendment lost. Why? Not because of Republicans. It lost because 13 Democrats in the Senate, voted against it. Yes, 13 Democrats voted with Big Pharma and against the American people. Now, that's bad enough, but here's what makes it even worse. The very next day, Donald Trump said that one of his first priorities, just like Bernie Sanders, would be to take on Big Pharma and force them to allow the federal government to buy drugs from Canada. Yep, Donald Trump put 13 Democrats to shame. And what does that tell you? I'll tell you what it tells you. It tells you that when Donald Trump is more willing to fight for working class Americans than Senate Democrats, the Democratic Party is in deep shit. This is The Bill Press Show.